microphone and we are good to go all right so y'all last time we were together we had uh, so much fun just kind of talking um about some of the issues in the church that we started last year right right uh last year or last just last sunday where we were just talking about um problems in the church the church doesn't discuss but should discuss and so uh, we kicked off by handling kind of the first um, three and a half of it. We talked about m- mental illness, uh, sin versus problems, lack of faith versus anxiety, biblical versus non-biblical. We talked about teaching kids about um, intimacy and fear versus education or integration, um, desire versus suppressing it, proper education versus sole biblical teaching, um, handling the desire wisely. Uh, we talked about church prejudice, right? We talked about created equal versus treated unequal. We talked about church dynamic versus grooming. We talked about uh, creating diversity versus sticking alone. Uh, we talked about how ethnic churches, how ethnic people operate sometimes and how it might be someone who would rather be from their culture and then they'll slowly broaden their horizons out. And then uh, last time we were together, we talked about uh, church practice. We talked about female modesty versus male self-control, uh, King James versus other Bibles. And then uh, today is kind of where I wanted to pick up. So let's pray and we'll get into um, continue our discussion on problems that the church does not discuss but should. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and for your son and for sending him to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to um, that you would just help us to just be able to keep uh, tempers down. It was a great time last time, Lord, but sometimes these different topics hit a sore spot for people, Father. So I just pray that we would help to show each other some grace um, as we discuss these things. And we may not figure out the answers for them, but at least get the discussion rolling. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. Amen. All right. So last time we were talking about church practice again, it was female modesty versus male self-control, King James versus other Bibles, pulpit versus lectern. Um, well, no, nah, we didn't talk about that. Well, that's where I'm getting in today. So the, today's discussion is going to be worldliness versus modernism. Worldliness versus modernism. Um, if you look at the church uh, f- as a whole, you'll find out that the church does a good job of kind of staying in one certain pocket for a long time before it moves. And a lot of times the discussion is going to be, well... Um, every time the world moves into more worldliness, the church moves closer into worldliness because the church kind of follows uh, that thing, which I'm not actually technically against, right? Uh, because, of course, the further the line, the line moves, the further we move also, well, we collectively speaking as a, as a body of Christ, right? Um, so sometimes we get into the place where we're trying to figure out how much is too much. Um, when I first got to Orlando Baptist Temple, Dr. Riggs was catching some heat. Uh, from some other churches over our pulpit. Anyone remember that? Yeah. About that going on over the pulpit. And we had a quote-unquote glass pulpit. And because we had a glass pulpit, that made us worldly, I guess, um, for, uh, for how that goes. Um, but that kind of that creates, uh, that kind of makes some room for uh, this conversation because many of us laughed at that, right? Because in, re- in actuality, that's really ridiculous. Like, what your pulpit looks like shouldn't shape whether or not. Now, I understand, who was it? Pastor Kimball that built that? Who yeah. built that pulpit, right? So I understand it being, you know, being something that's kept because it's something that, uh, that has been here for, I don't know, how long? How long has it been since Pastor Kimball's been gone? 
that has to be at least, I mean, at least 16 years because that's when Dr. Riggs was here, right? And so at least, at least 17 years now, excuse me. So that's a long time, you know? So, I mean, does, what does that mean? That means that we keep the same pulpit forever? You know, what happens if it breaks? What happens if it, you know, that's, it's an old thing. So we get to the point now where we kind of talk about modernism versus worldliness. And I want to hear from you guys a little bit. Um, kind of talk to me a little bit about what that looks like for you. Like, what is, like, does someone define worldliness for me? Like, what is it? What, is, what, what crosses into that threshold? What do y'all got? What's, what does it mean to be worldly? Talk to me, y'all. Talk to me. Because we're talking about worldliness versus modernism. So what is that? All right, Brother Jake. I see your odd. Uh, you put it down. Why'd you put it down? It did. Things of the world are things that are judged by the world. So the level of acceptability is here for worldliness. I don't know if you're looking for an example. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess there's plenty of examples, but I guess I just want to know, like, what the that was. That was a, that was good. I, I I like that. You were talking about like things being judged by the world standards, right? Is that what you, is that what you're saying? Right, yeah. Well, clarify for me. Yes. Are you being scared? No, the world's view and the acceptability of the world in general, they're like on this level. Okay, so So be like being accepted by the world. Being accepted by the world. Okay, is, okay, well, okay, well then let's build off that a little bit before we, uh, while Brother Johnny collects all of his thoughts, um, or it's his thought, whatever one that, whatever one that is. Brother Dominic. I think it would be more so something that worldliness is something more so that Okay. More than pleasing the spirit. Maybe. Right. No, that's great. Thank you for both of those. Okay. So, I mean, I see it's kind of like digging into a hole now, right? Because, of course, with every example that you give, there needs to be an explanation for it. So, we talk about being uh, things that kind of are scaled, graded, and accepted by the world, and then like stuff according to the flesh. So, okay. So, how does that appeal? How does that appeal to the church? Like, where does the? How can a church fall into? Into a, a state of worldliness. If it, we're talking about things that appeal to the flesh, what does what does that pertain to? Like, what things classifies that? I think when churches start making decisions with music or messages or whatever, that their main focus of it is how do we please the people in the flesh versus how do we glorify God and uplift the spiritual being of that person. Okay. I think a lot of churches have, have done that. They've gone and they look at it deacons and stuff like that and said, let's have this type of music or this type of lighting so it's fun and it's cool. And it's yeah. More entertainment than about the word of God. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. What else you got? Miss Marion, I saw your hand. I was going to talk about music as well because um, the world has a style of music that they would play when they go to a dance party, for instance. Right. Yeah. And then several years ago, people started singing Christian songs in the style of those. Mm-hmm. And it was abhorrent at the, in the beginning. Right. And then little by little, a lot of the gospel songs you hear sound just like them. So I mm-hmm. think little by little we moved towards the world right. because it sounded good. And I mean, I, I know I hated it when he came, but now I have no problem with it. Right. So I'm a good example of... Well, this... Well, what's that? 
we moved our standard. Right, which is kind of what I was asking in the beginning was like when the world moves down the line, does that mean do we move down the line also? But now this begs the question because I actually, okay, I need, I need responses to this question, okay? Does Christianity have a genre? Does Christianity, does Christian music have a genre? Now let me ask, this is what I mean. You know what a hymn sounds like, right? Yes. You know what a hymn sounds like and you usually can tell it's, you know, da, 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 right? Now, but you hear music done in all kinds of styles. I mean, a lot of the black gospel songs sound like R&B, right? <laughs> then you have, I'm being, hold on. Don't start saying yes, because I got all kinds of stuff. You got some stuff that sounds like rock. You got some stuff that sounds like bluegrass. You got some stuff that sounds like, okay, so these are all these stuff. I mean, you have Amazing Grace done to the tune of Leanne Rhymes, right? And so, like, you kind of have, an, uh, you kinda have a, uh, this whole umbrella of Christian music being done in a lot of different styles. So, my question is, what does that style look like? What does a Christian music style look like? That's my question. If it's done in a lot of, if you hear stuff done in a lot of different styles, I mean, it's like Christmas music. You've heard everyone and their mother do a Christmas song, and you've heard it done in all kinds of, we three kings of Oriental, right? And then you hear, we three kings of Oriental. Like, you see the different ways that things are done. So talk to me about, like, what does a Christian what does the Christian genre look like? What y'all got? I'm really intrigued. Like, the context of the, the message. The context of the message, but we just talked about how styles sh- are shaping by, uh, have a lot of the world's shaped standards, right? And so if you say, well, this is the church and this is the, the Christian music, right? And you have like, you know, the R&B style, or you have the, you know, the bluegrass style, the rock style, and all these different ones, even the acoustic style, you know what I'm saying? At what point does that bleed over into worldliness versus just being centered around Christ? I think it has to do with how you perceive it. If you're listening to the song and you're thinking of God, focusing on God, then whatever mode it's in is fine. If you're listening to the song and you're not paying attention to the words, you're not thinking about God, you're dancing and hopping and thinking about the person next to you, that's not Christian music then because you're not focused on God and each person can be different. Right, that's a great, okay, so that last statement is where I was about to hook you, all right? Because here's the question. That now, in my mind, that that means to me now that perception is subjective. What does that mean? Is that the perception of some people may not be the same perception to others. So, Miss Tina, you might hear a song, you might be like, wow, that is really worldly. Like, there is, like, where are we at? Are we at the club right now? Like, this is not very, you know what I'm saying? Whereas Brother Dominic might be like, man, that spoke to my spirit. And woo, that man, that fit, that fed me. So, you know what I'm saying? So, how it speaks to the person can vary. So, that's why I kind of want to know, is there like a set, safe zone? That says this genre, I didn't say the style, I said the genre, right? Because music is done, I listen to something and I hear, okay, that is a classical song. That is a rock song, that is an R&B song, that is a hip-hop song, right? I hear, I hear the instrumental portion of it, or even the style of the song, and say, wow, I can, I can articulate that to a genre. Which one of those do Christian music, does Christian music fall under? That's my question. 
do you see how that makes this so much harder when you start to discuss worldliness versus modernism is because number one, like this, we're sitting in a room right now full of all kinds of cultures. Y'all on the podcast can't see it, but I can see it. And we're in a room full of cultures where people come from all kinds of, you know what I'm saying? Like for instance, we're singing a couple of those hymns, Miss Marion, I saw you getting going, right? You know what I'm saying? Because I already know that in a lot of island cultures, I mean, when we go to church, it's church. You know what I'm saying? Give me all in my land. Keep me burning, burning. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you get in there and, like, it's happening and there's tambourines and all that other stuff. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who don't even sing hymns at all. Right? We don't do hymns. Right? It's all contemporary Christian music and stuff like that. And then you have the people in the middle that's just kind of like, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. And you know, kind of keep, kind of kind of simple. You know what I'm saying? Kind of piano, organ only, period. No even, you know, swing in it. Just like, like staccato. Give me oil in my lamp. Give me. You know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. And I'm just being honest. Like, we get to a place where... We're trying to figure, oh, I thought that was outside. I was like, who is out there playing? Is that, he's like on his electronic thing? Okay, I was like, because that was scaring me. I'm like, whose kid is outside playing during church? Get in here, right? Anyway, you're fine, Joshua, carry on. Now, now that I know what's going on, I'm cool. I won't doubt your kids watch other kids on YouTube now. It's weird. All right, um, so, um, yeah. So, I don't think we'll arrive at that answer today. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But then it also begs the question where, like, as a church, you know, kind of where that, where that goes. You know, how, how does a church decide and choose what music is appropriate for the church if, number one, it's subjective, number two, music transcends culture, and then number three, people from different backgrounds are going to view music different ways. I know there's people that come to our church and they're just kind of like, wow, this music is perfect. And then there's some people that come to, come to our church and say, wow, our music is really slow and old and traditional. And then there's some people that's like, man, this music is spot on. Like, wow, this is great. So like, all right, Brother Greg, talk loud for me. Because I know for me, when I listen at a lot of different kind of Christian music, I always try to find the message in there. I always do. You're right. So it doesn't matter. But, you know, like I said, if I can hear that message, hear a message in there, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Miss Tina. I think if you don't go to one extreme or the other, you find a happy medium. Mm -hmm. Most people, if they're on the, I like the more contemporary, this is borderline, this is okay. I like the more traditional, this is borderline. If if you're in the middle, you're going to catch the majority of the people. Okay. I think. Sure. Sure. Because even thinking about, like, you guys don't understand, like, there's a lot of thought that I put into, like, the different kind of music that we do um, at our church. I try to feel the temperature of it every song that we do, every song that we've done. You may notice that there's, a, there's songs that we've done here at the church, but we've done it one time and we never did it again. You know what I'm saying? Songs that were introduced and it was like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, because then here's the other side of the spectrum. This argument will be everlasting. Yeah. Because then you get to the other point where music that speaks to you isn't okay because you don't want to be a stumbling block to someone else, right? right? And so now you're like, man, now how do you introduce music or how do you worship in a certain style or in a certain way um, without offending others if what happens with music is that it's subjective, which means that it speaks to me, but you find it offensive. You know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. That is tough. That is tough. Any closing thoughts before we move on? Because I don't think we'll find that answer. Yes, Miss Terrell. Angel and the kids and I went to a Christmas program at another church uh-huh. during the holidays, and they had 
neon lights and lights flashing and it didn't feel like church. It felt like we went to a nice show but not anything like church. Sure. Now, Kalei and I went to where went to, you know, we, we let, you guys know that we've been going to different young adult things, you know what I'm saying, going to get fed ourselves, you know what I'm saying, kind of thing. And we went to this young adult thing that I met during the week. These are during the, some of the young adult ministries that meet during the week. And we went there, and it was immediately kind of uncomfortable because we went in there, the lights were dim real low, the lights were kind of just showing just on the stage, you know what I'm saying. It wasn't like strobe lighty. You know what I'm saying? There was no fog, you know, but I remember the first time going there was like, wow, this is kind of uncomfortable, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, they kind of had, the, you know, the hands raised kind of thing the whole time and different things like that. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of uncomfortable for me. And then but I looked around at all the other people and they're just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I looked over at this girl, y'all, and her tears are just flowing. And I'm just kind of like over here like... <laughs> And she's completely immersed. I mean, people down at the altar just, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's weird. You know what I'm saying? It's weird kind of finding, I guess you'll have to, f- you'll get to a place where you'll have to find what fits you. You know, what fits you. Um, because I think the standard for what's worldly as far as it comes to music will always have this huge spectrum. And that's why I think there's so many churches is because people are going to find where they fit to worship before. Remember, I invited a young lady to our church one time, probably around my age. And um, one of her first questions was, well, what's your worship session? What's your worship part of the sermon service like? You know what I'm saying? And I was like, well, you know, we're pretty traditional church. And she's like, oh, okay. And she never came. You know what I'm saying? She never came. And she's like, well, the church, I've seen it before, especially with millennials, people my age. And they're just kind of like, if the worship is not worship, you know what I'm talking about? Then, um, then I, don't, I, can't, I can't be here. You know, which is weird because I feel like the worship is a precursor to the message. Which prepares your heart for the message, you know what I'm saying? But it's a it's a difficult thing, it's a difficult it's a difficult topic. Um, so then it goes down from you know worldliness. So we're talking about you know like worldliness and uh, versus modernism. And um, I mean, kind of think about what other topics kind of fall under this umbrella. Um, you even cover stuff like church dress. You know, we talked about what is defined. Um, as worldly, does we? T- I know we talked about we covered this a little bit in the uh, the. Do you know what you believe? Not do you know what you believe? Is that what the series was called? It was my series, and I forgot what it was called. <laughs> Church etiquette, Church etiquette series, and we're just kind of talking about dress. You know what I'm saying? Like for instance, like I got some slacks on, a dress, some dress shoes, some dress socks. I got a button down shirt on. I got this um, this sweater that I got as a present. I think it's like Kenneth Cole or something like that. I don't know, right? <laughs> And so there's this, all right? And then Brother Mike, stand up. Let me embarrass you for a second. All right, Brother Mike's got, uh, Brother Mike's got some khaki pants on. He's got his polo shirt on. He's kind of, he's untucked. You know what I'm saying? Brother Riles, kind of similar. You know what I'm saying? Brother Riles has got his polo shirt on. Very nice polo, by the way. He has slacks, his thing. And then Brother Dominic, stand up. Let me embarrass you for a second. <laughs> Brother Dominic is in his traditional church attire, right? Beige suit looks good. You know, olive color. You know, nice little color scheme going on. Look at that. You gotta find you a wife, brother. We gotta take a picture of you like that and snap it and put it on in, and put it on the Facebook and be like, available bachelor now, right? So brother Dominic is in like his traditional dress. Brother brother Greg is in his traditional dress. Brother da, uh, brother Jelani even got the vest on. Yes, baby, I see you. You know what I'm saying? Kind of things. A lot of ladies are just dressed. Miss Cecilia looking very sharp. Very sharp, right? She even got the stockings on. You know what I'm saying? She's doing her thing. Now, Brother Greg. Yeah. You 
know, I like a lot of jewelry. Uh huh. And people will see me and they'll be like, oh, you pimping. I say, yeah, I'm pimping. I'm pimping for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you crazy. I shut them up. Yes. I shut them up. Because <laughs> here's the idea. Here's, Brother Greg, please don't tell people you pimping for Jesus. <laughs> All right. I hear you. I hear you. All right, now, 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 here we go. Here we go, brother Greg. You crazy? You're a crazy man. All right. It's okay, brother Greg. I felt, I felt what you were saying though. All right. Yeah. Does Christianity have a look? That's the question. Does Christianity have a look? This, I'll let you know what I grew up on. I grew up on uh, ladies' modest dress, right? Mostly going to be dresses, uh, knee-length skirts minimum, below the knee or ankle length. Um, three, what do you call it? The three-finger rule on, on the shoulder for your, for your dress strap. Uh, guys tucked in shirt, hair off the collar, or, or you're a girl. Um, um, you know... Dress slacks. Remember one time I got me and my my buddy. We used to work the church bus. Uh, the church bus. We were teenagers. We worked the church bus, and uh, um, I actually was a bus captain at the time um, at the church that we were at. And I remember one time we got off the bus. If you worked on a bus, I know we've had church bus here different times, but the bus that we were on back there in the early, uh, uh, well, the mid two thousands, um, it was it was just. Packed with kids. I mean, packed with kids. It was wild. I mean, down by the river. I mean, like, you could hear us down the road. I mean, they were waking up the whole neighborhood. Chocolate is flying everywhere. We're throwing honey buns. You know what I'm saying? It was a wild ride. And so on the bus, you are bound to be hot and sticky in the Florida, a Florida summer morning. You know, stuff like that. And so we got off the bus. I mean, collared shirt. Or khaki, uh, collared shirt, uh, sometimes denim, sometimes khaki, you know what I'm saying, uh, tennis shoes, you know, stuff like that. And I remember one time we got off the bus after picking up kids all morning, doing kids' activities on the bus, bringing kids in, and someone stopped us. And they said, what are you doing? He said, what are y'all doing? And we're like, bringing the coolers to the room, to the kitchen? What do you mean? And he was like, uh, you should know better. You should dress your best for the Lord. Like, this isn't acceptable. Right? And so, we were like, okay, you know, kind of thing. We told our youth pastor. Our youth pastor actually got really mad and, like, chewed him out. Da, 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 da. You don't know them. You don't know. You haven't invested. You don't know their home lives. Blah, 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 blah. But that, b- befi- b- besides all that, the question that I kind of came to my mind was, well, then what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? And it's like, okay, there's two layers to this. So why don't you talk to me about this? What should a Christian look like in church? What does that look like? Brother Greg. God said, come as you are, and he'll do the increase. Okay. Is that that what other people think? We have difference of opinion. Ms. Tina? I grew up the same with you, um, the traditional dress your best for the Lord. But dressing your best... For him might be a suit, where for him it might be a pair of jeans. Right. As long as you, in your heart, you're there to worship, I don't think dresses, I mean, you need to be modest, there's rules and things, but whether you have to wear a suit or whether it's acceptable to wear jeans, I think is 
what is what are you presenting to the Lord? That's that's how I see it. Um, okay. What else, what do y'all think? What else? What else we got? Mrs. Seal. I think as long as you come, you're modest and you are clean. Yes. That should be enough. Okay. Brother Vince. To preach. You're going to hear the word of God. So. Sure. Brother Vince. Church shouldn't be a fashion show. Okay, I hear, I hear. That's a very direct statement. Now unpack it for me. Church shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a, ta- a fashion show. So what? Okay, so so what does that what what does that mean? What what what's the point? If you come to worship, like like she said, it, it, that's all you come to do. It, it, it just uh, it shouldn't people shouldn't be going oh look at him, look at her. Mm-hmm. If you're dressing to outdress somebody, mm-hmm. then that's a fashion show. Mm-hmm. If you're dressing for yourself. For the Lord, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. But because he's wearing a suit, oh, now I have to go out and buy a suit. Oh, I yeah. have to wear, you know, and he's wearing a blue suit, I'm going to get me a black. If it's a competition, then you're not doing that for the Lord, you're doing yeah. it for you. Sure. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Is that kind of what you're saying? I'm saying if no matter what you're wearing, come to church for what you come to church for, to worship God. Mm-hmm. Don't be looking around and looking at, look at the pastor, keep your eyes on him, listen to what he's saying. And that's all. Don't be looking around and say, oh, look at I should wear that or I should wear this. Keep your eyes on the prize. Okay. Yeah, and so when you first come, you know what I'm saying? When you first come, it's like that's the way you are yeah. until God clean you up. Sure. To, to another, you know, another if, you're, if the best you have is a t-shirt and blue jeans, wear a t-shirt and blue jeans. Mm-hmm. But as a child of God, you need to remember you are a child of God. You're coming into the king's house. Mm-hmm. Right. How would you dress if you're going to go meet the president of the United States? Right. Sure. I like that. You, you would not wear a torn Budweiser shirt yeah. and cutoffs going to meet the president of the United States. Right. Fair. Valid. Brother Dominic, I saw that finger go up. Yeah, I got a couple things. Okay. Um, if, you, if you take the churches back in the 1940s and they compared us today, they'd probably say we're all worldly. Right. For most of us, even what I'm wearing. Um, but then uh, you get back to the other thing, come, come as you are, and that's totally, absolutely. I'll just share my personal conviction on it and why. So when I started coming to church, I didn't wear suit and ties and all this stuff or whatever. And that's not really what it's about. But when I started coming to church here in school here, the first time I wore a tie was for basketball. Um, uh, Brad had us all uh, dress up for basketball days and stuff, and I hated it. I hated wearing it. Right. And then, you know, as I kept coming to church, it kept growing, and God kept ruining my heart. Mm-hmm. I remember I had to go to a funeral, and I dressed up for that. So in time, that, you know, God convicted me and said, well, if I'm going to dress up for these things, isn't church important enough to look nice as well? Sure. And I, I didn't go out of my way to spend money mm-hmm. and stuff like that, buy a suit or nothing like that. It right. just ended up happening for other events and stuff like that. Right. And there's other reasons why. Sure. Um, Fair. Any other points before I move into to subsection A? Okay. So then here's my next thing. Why is it that Sunday best is a thing? Do you dress the same way that you dress on Sunday for Bible study on Wednesday? For draw nigh on Thursday? For church events that happen on a Saturday? Why is Sunday the day where people are supposed to 
dress up. Where is that biblically? I mean, I'm hearing slacks and a button-down shirt, too. So, you know what I'm saying? Don't feel like I'm looking down on you. But I'm just saying, like, you know what I'm saying? At where, how come the line is drawn at Sunday? Like, where is, what's that? What's that about? What about the other times that we come to church? What about the assembling of ourselves together, being the church? So every time that we get together as a unit, right? Every time we gather together, where two or three are gathered, right? Every time we get to that point, that is church by biblical definition, so why is it, by the way, nine out of those ten times we're meeting here? Same building, same place. Why does it vary? Well, for me personally, I grew up dressing for church on Sunday. Wednesday night when we go to prayer meeting, you wear a dress that you wear on Saturday or to go to the store. And then we had the house clothes. We had school clothes because we wore uniform. Church clothes. Miss Tina? I grew up the same. Sunday, you wore your dresses. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night, we used to wear skirts. Mm-hmm. Um, unless when we were in the youth group, we always wore jeans because we were playing. We did a lot of activities and stuff. So right. as a child, we wore jeans. Right. Um, as an adult, I would wear a dress on Sunday mm-hmm. and then a skirt on Wednesday. Right. But now I'm an adult. Uh, I don't wear skirts on Wednesday because I wear what I wear to work. Right. And I wear pants to work. Okay. So it's that's convenience. I'm dressing nice. I'm not clean. I'm wearing mm-hmm. modest clothes. But my standard for myself has changed for Wednesday to slacks because I never used to wear slacks to church. Right, okay. Kids, you wear jeans. And I heard all of those things, which I understand. A lot of that is rooted in the tradition by which you grew up. But, why? I consider Sunday morning service to be special among all the other services that you had during the week. I'm going in my best because I'm I'm worshiping, I'm dressing for the wedding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm coming to see Jesus on Sunday morning, which I do during the week, I think I need to look my best. Not necessarily dressed up, as everyone is saying. But I just think people, in general, think Sunday morning is a special occasion. Right. Tradition started the week. Right. right. I'm going to worship in the temple of But every time I step up in this joint, I'm here to worship, right? Wednesday, Thursday, I'm here to worship. So why wear a button-up shirt and a a polo and a a tie on a a Sunday and then wear my OB t-shirt, jeans, and some sneakers on Wednesday? Like, what happens? Uh, Okay, Brother Howard, I saw you first. I was going to say that, you know, like you're saying, Sunday morning is more special time. That's when most people don't regularly come to church are going to be there, and kids especially conduct themselves differently when they're wearing special Sunday morning clothes as opposed to wearing their t-shirt and blue jeans, Right. that thing. They know I'm dressed like this, there's a certain way I should behave. Okay. Brother Riles, I saw you. Okay. The way I was always taught 
and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't get into church until I was a teenager. Okay. And I met, when I was working at McDonald's, I met a guy who got me into coming to this church. You always give your first fruits, yes. your best. And Sunday being the first of the week, you give God your first fruits, your best. So you come looking your best on Sunday morning because mm -hmm. you're not going to come. You don't want to give them spoiled fruit. You don't want to give them bruised fruit or anything like that. Then Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night, you're still giving him your first fruits, but it doesn't have to necessarily be as good a quality as you do Sunday mornings. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of the idea. I figured that's what y'all were getting at. Um, it being the first of the week, giving God your first fruits, giving him the best of what you've got. Now, the other weeks doesn't mean other days doesn't mean being modest, right? Doesn't mean being modest or be blah, you know, but you a lot of times, like you said, like I know many of you uh, like for Thursday nights. I know Miss Angelica, many Wednesdays, Thursdays, you're coming right out of work. Same brother Dominic, my wife. You know, Miss Tina, a lot of y'all doing the, doing the same thing where y'all are coming straight out of work. You know what I'm saying? And I don't ever think like, oh, look at Brother Dominic. He looked like he been working on plumbing or something today. He looked nasty. You know what I'm saying? No, a lot of time it's like I'm here. And I would argue, I would argue that dressing your best, especially like during the week, is subjective as well. Because I would take someone not dressed 10 out of 10, but be here, than to not be here at all. You know what I'm saying? I, I know, like, you know, that's how, it, but you'll be shocked. I've seen it in the youth department. I saw it where people would come first time visitors, would step in here. Listen to me, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Kids, close your ears, right? I saw, I saw one time a, someone come in and they had the bunny, the bunny on their shirt. Think about it. The one. The one. Right? On this shirt. Right? And of course, if it was any of my normal teens, I'd have been like, man, what are you, what are you doing? If you don't, girl, you know better than that. Right? But then you have people like that come in off the street, people who have never set foot in a church before. And I've seen it where people, where churches have pushed those people away because yeah. they didn't look the part. Right. And I remember Casting Crown said it, you have to change her heart before you can change your shirt. Right. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times we come in here and we expect people. And so that's why both of your situation, both I, me personally, I'm trying not to give too much of my opinion because I want to hear y'all. You know what I'm saying? But that's why I believe that both of y'all are right. You know what I'm saying? You come, you're good. Y'all can uncover your ears now. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Coming in for the first time. Like, and I'll, babe, I hope this doesn't embarrass you. You know what I'm saying? But when my wife and I were dating, she was asking me a lot of uh, stuff. Like, we were getting to know each other, like on dress, on standards, and all that other stuff. And I wouldn't give her my opinion on hers. I wouldn't do it. And the reason why that was is because I didn't want her to change the way that she was going to uh, carry herself because I wanted her to. I wanted her to do that because that's what the Lord wanted her to do. Amen. You know what I'm saying? The Lord is going to... Uh, the Lord is going to now as far as me and my house we will serve the Lord and so my kids will dress how I tell them to dress you know what I'm saying until they're adults but as far as like someone that I, that you know just meeting just getting to know just courting you know what I'm saying it's like well I don't want to shape you I want the Lord to shape you and so I believe that as someone who comes in you let them come in and you kind of leave people be and as they get closer to the Lord, the Lord will show them how they should conduct themselves as a child of God and 10 times out of 10 it's going to be modestly yes if 
That's an asterisk. If they are in pursuit and hunger and thirsting after righteousness. If their number one desire is to please the Lord and see the Lord pleased with them, they will always, 100% of the time, bring themselves in a quote-unquote presentable manner. Because they want to be their best for the Lord. And then, because you got to think about the fact also that even best is subjective because, I mean, I own a lot of clothes. I own two-piece suits, monkey suits, tuxedos. I own a lot of different stuff. I own Nike slides all the way down to suede slip-ons. You know what I'm saying? So, I think a lot of times it's going to boil down to what, what does presentability look like. And bring carrying yourself presentable before the Lord. Like you said, Brother Howard, great example. You wouldn't dress... However, to go meet the president, like him or not, right? You're going to the White House, you're going to put the best thing that you've got on. You know what I'm saying? Or if you're going to go to a funeral or you're going to go to someone's dinner, why should the Lord not get the same, if not the best, the better treatment of those things? You know what I'm saying? So I agree with y'all. Like during the week, you know, dressing, you can still be presentable even though it's not like suit. Okay, So I'm with y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm with y'all. Like you'll never catch me. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I'll come in here, I got my OBT t-shirt on, I got some, you know, I may have some jeans on, I may have, like, my camo pants and some, uh, some uh, my, my toms or, you know, whatever it might be, some slip-on shoes, you know what I'm saying? But I would never dress like that on a Sunday. Why? Because I'm giving God my first fruits, like many of you guys were saying. But that's my conviction. You know what I'm saying? That's how, things that I feel. So, that was great, y'all. I really, that was a really good time, really good time parking on point four. All right, let's intro point five. This may end up going into a third week after all, which I don't mind. I like it. All right? Um, So, number one, mental illness. Number two, teaching kids about intimacy. Number three, prejudice. Number four, church practice, worldliness versus modernism. Verses five, uh, verse five, broken homes. Broken homes. Raise your hand in here if you, by your definition, grew up in a broken home. All right, see some hands. That may mean, all right, so let me, so let's do this, all right? I saw a lot of hands. All right, so someone raise your hand and tell me, define for me in your own words what a broken home is. What does that look like? What is that? Before we get any further, Miss Angelica, I saw you first. Then Brother Greg, you're next. Divorced parents. Divorced parents. Okay, is that what you're going to say too, Brother Greg? Anybody else have another have a difference of um, definition for that or a different spin on it? Anyone? Divorced parents? I think it's going to be pretty much the standard in a non-two-parent home. Miss Penny, you got something? Yeah, abuse. Okay, so you could be in a house that has both parents, but there could be abuse present. Mm-hmm. All right. What else y'all got? What does a broken home look like? Throw those at me, yo. Brother Jelani. Uh, dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Right? I think today, I think today's time, I think very few homes are non-dysfunctional, but you know, but I, I hear, I know what you say. When you say dysfunctional, I pretty much have a good idea of what you mean, right? Um, what were you saying, Brother Greg? Financial, financial in, a, in a place, a broken home, a place that's not financially suitable for a family or circumstances like that. All right, great. All right. Um, so let's talk. Uh, what fosters a broken home? Give me some of the, give me some of the environment. Or give me some of the factors that have to be included in order for a home to get to a place where it's considered broken. Many of y'all raised your hands that you came from broken homes. So what does that look like? Brother Greg. Okay. So what was the, I heard the second one. What was the first one? Alcoholism, drug addiction, sure. Those are a lot of things. People choosing substances above their families, above their children, above their spouses. Sure. What else? 
Being unsaved. All right, being in an unsaved home can sometimes be a root cause uh, for a broken home or dysfunctional home. Sure. Yeah, what causes one? What fosters one? What else you guys got? Infidelity. Infidelity, sure. Um, sure. That's no one being satisfied with the other. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah. Gold star, brother Howard. High, air five. Nice, I like that one. Great answer. What else you got? I heard somebody over here saying something. Rejection. Rejection. Okay, that can come from all different levels. Rejecting of a spouse, rejecting of your children, children rejecting their parents. It's a big giant web. Brother Jelani. More time spent working rather than parenting. Wow, that's a big one. Where a lot of times people emphasize their careers, you know, over. Check this out. People can be in a home where there are both parents present. They have all the stuff in the world. They 16, first car, food in their fridge all the time, roof over their head, hot shower, and still be broken because people equate a fiscal provision of their family to be on the same level as emotional provision for a family and both have to be present in order for a home to operate f- properly. And that's why you'll see some kids who can be in the poorest situations ever um, be some of the happiest kids in the world still because kids will, ride, kids will hang out with you. They may not understand, but they'll rock with you in that cardboard box if they know that at least I'm here with my mom. At least I'm here with my dad. At least I'm here with my family. Versus being in a house that's four bedrooms. I mean, uh, four bedrooms and three bath and pool in the back and Xbox One and all this other stuff, and still feel like they have nothing because mm-hmm. the functionality in their home is off because the fiscal responsibility took precedent over the emotional one, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, what else y'all got? Favoritism. Favoritism. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the yeah. biggest indication that destroys homes. One of them is a ch- God forbid your child feels like you treat one of their siblings better than them. You will never listen to me. Never get out of that hole. They will hold that over you forever. They may be nice to you. Maybe cordial, but you'll hear the jabs every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm not Dominic. Oh, well, I'm not Tina. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm not Angelica. You know what I'm saying? You'll, you'll, you'll hear that. You know what I'm saying? And even honestly, being the oldest child, I heard a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I heard a lot of that stuff. And despite you know, my testimony and the things that went on, I heard a lot of times where there were jabs thrown at me like, oh, well, your mom's favorite. I'm like, could have fooled me. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's, it's subjective. You know what I'm saying? It's subjective. But that's a fantastic one. Um, so someone, let me, someone tell me, why does it seem to affect all social demographics? Because broken homes aren't just poor homes. You'll hear people that say, oh, it's a broken home, it's a poor home. You know what I'm saying? By the way, poor in itself is subjective. Subjective is going to be the word, you know what I'm saying, for this entire thing because it affects everyone differently. But what, what's the reason that you think it transcends all demographics? What do you guys think? Why does it happen in white and black and Spanish and Asian and rich, poor and, you know, social, you know, high classes, low classes? Like, what do you guys think? Why does it, why does it seem to go everywhere? We're all flesh. Okay. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. Sure. Everybody, you know, has weaknesses. Uh Uh-huh. Everything to do with the flesh. 
we all are susceptible to making mistakes and choosing yeah. the wrong path. So yeah. It could be anybody. It transcends everybody. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. I think a lot of times we put ourselves in a place where we think that we are um, above the, the fact that it could happen to us, that it could be our homes, it could be our parents, it could be our children, you know what I'm saying, uh, kind of thing. So that kind of begs my next question. Uh, what does a good home look like? What is a, what is a good home? Christian parents. Okay, spiritually. What also makes a good home? I hear you, Brother Gary. What's that? Brother Gary said something for the first time in two Sundays. You heard what he said, y'all? He said there's, there's no such thing as a perfect home. Right? That's powerful. So what do you do? How do what kind of environment then, from a, from a non-perfect perspective... What do you do to foster a home that is conducive to growth for your children? Like, what does that look like? If there is no perfect home, which I agree, there is no perfect home. You got to give and take. Give and take. Mm-hmm. Brother Gary, what does that mean? Give and take. What does that mean? Takes two to tango. Right. <laughs> you're, you're throwing all these phrases at me, but I, I want some... What do y'all think? What it, give and take. Like, that rung a bell for me. What, it, what do y'all think? What does that mean to you? Huh? Compromise. Oh my gosh. Compromise. I have seen some of the godliest homes run their children into the ground because they lack compromise. And as soon as they get out of the home, they are gone. They are gone. They are gone. They are gone. gone. Does that mean that they were worldly kids? Does that mean that you were in a worldly home? No, that's not what that means. Brother Gary, be good. I heard that. But they're gone. Not just gone. I mean, a lot of kids grow up and they leave the faith. I know people who grew up in two-parent homes, food always on the table, but their parents were so binding that they didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want anything to do with it. I think, I think that's one of the reasons why when you have that, that verse in the Bible, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think one of the reasons why that falls asunder is because the grip. There's no room. You got to remember that there's a fine line between choice and obligation, right? And so you're going to have to, as a parent, and you're going to have to as a child, Right, so this is not just for the parents. This is for Derek and Demetrius and Abby and you know what I'm saying and Joshua. This is for all. This is for all the the kids and the adults alike. Is that you compromise? Like what what do we do in order to make the house fu- function in a Christ-like manner without it feeling like a war zone all the time? You know what I'm saying. And so I think that's a, that's a huge thing. Is that a, a lot of a good home is going to be compromise. Yeah. It's give and take, yeah. choosing your battles. What mountains are worth dying on? You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we die, on the, we die for the wrong stuff. And it's like you may have won the battle, but you lost the war. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You kind of things. And so that's tough. I mean, Kalei and I don't have children yet, but I'm, I have, you don't believe how many notes, like I'm, mental notes that I've taken just watching other people's homes and other people's families and even watching y'all with your kids and watching people else that I know with my kids and seeing, okay, what are things that I think are great traits or what things are that I think are bad traits and what do I think are things that could be, that, that are non-negotiable and then what are some, some of the things that I think could be, you know, 
released a little bit so that it's not so um, so heavy. You know, it's it's tough because I mean, the way, no matter what way you cut it, there's always going to be a kid that's going to be discontent, right? There's always going to be circumstances in it. There's always going to be standards by which parents are discontent with their children. Uh, but you're going to have to get to a place, I think. Um, so let me hear from some of the parents. Like, what has been some of your experiences with compromise, and how has it worked for you? If you're willing to share, mm-hmm. well, what do you think? Parents, or even some of the kids, if you, you want to open the floor up to y'all, too. Um, some of you as adults, some of you as adults with your parents. You know what I'm saying? What do you, what do you think? Ms. Hina, what you got? If I had, I'll call them ultimatums. This is the goal that I wanted. Okay. In order to get them there, I couldn't say, you have to do this, you have to do that. I allowed my kids to have choices. Do you want to do this or this or this? And they're all leading there, but they get to choose the way to get there. Okay. Um, I don't I can't think of an example, but I mean, I try not to make it. This is the only rule. I try to allow different yeah. ways to get there. Sure. It get I, I it gives them a sense of uh, a sense of a sense of individuality. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where where they're, they're, they bought into it. It's like. Not selective guidance, but just like, but, but guidance versus forcing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those situations where I realize this. Like, if I pull on my dog's collar real sharp, she'll plant her feet and she, she's, a, she's already on defense. Because she's like, I'm in trouble for something. Right? But, and so if I say, you know, Sage, get out here. You know what I'm saying? She's going to be like, you know, I'm like, Sage, come on. You know what I'm saying? I got her to still do what I wanted. But the way that I had to do it kind of let her feel like she wasn't. So, like, no, we're not animals. But it's, like, the same kind of, kind of a similar concept. It's, like, okay, I have a goal for my kids, but I'm going to create some different avenues that are all safe avenues to get there. You give them a gentle nudge in the right way. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What else y'all got? That was great, Miss Tina. That's good. What else you got? What have been your experiences, Brother Dominic? Compromise comes in the form of a $12 I'm me personally, I'm still figuring it out. Demetrius is 10, and I started prepping a couple of years ago to start, I guess, teaching them to desire and wanting to make right decisions. Yeah. To, to look at, you know, ignorance in the world and, and not look at it as enjoying, but to understand where that leads and yeah. to not have a desire to that. But to try and give them, or try and build them Yeah. For those that didn't hear, he was just kind of saying that he's kind of helping, instilling him a desire to do right. Mm-hmm. Instilling him the understanding of what, you know, that there's a way that leads right into a man, but in the end of the ways of death. Like being prudent, right? It's a huge word. And that's thinking about how your decisions now may affect you later, mm-hmm. right? May affect you down the road. Um, so that's a big thing. And I, I can't, I'm sure that teaching that is not easy. You know what I'm saying? And, and figuring that out. I guess no parent technically has it all figured out, right? Even as you get through the age. I know some people right now that grew up a certain way um, and have raised their children a certain way. But now as adults, they look back and they're like, man, I would have done that differently. Kind of thing. I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, anyone else have any other ideas? Like what does co- compromise look like for uh, a parent and a child? All right, so what else do y'all got? We're, almost, we're about done. What else do y'all got as far as like what a, a good home looks like? We parked on compromise for a while. Are there any other factors that contribute to what a good home looks like? 
or the environment that is good for a child looks like? Being a good example. Being a good example. Man, one of the biggest reasons why I hear kids, I hear a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of kids, you know what I'm saying? And Brother Mike, you will too as you work with teenagers and you'll hear all the kind of stuff. Um, and even as an adult, I hear stuff. And a lot of times you'll hear kids that are like, man, my parents were just hypocrites. Mm-hmm. I've heard it. Brother Greg, I heard it. Well, they said my parents were hypocrites. And I heard people say, like, my dad was a assistant pastor or a deacon or a trustee or my dad headed up this ministry or my mom headed up this ministry. And at home, at, at, at work, they were all, I mean, at church, they were all smiles and loving and happy. And the only time I ever got a hug or an I love you was out in public around all these other people. But then I got home and they treated me like trash. You know what I'm saying? They treated my mom like trash. I mean, ministers treating, the, treating their wives like garbage and, you know, treating their children terribly and, and stuff like that. And you'll hear that a lot is people feeling like, you know, hypocritical parents have been are a big reason why a lot of times kids don't, you know, kids walk away from the faith. And that's why I think being now, of course, like this is thin ice for me because I'm not a parent yet. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to judge anyone's parent styles. But what I am saying is that I'm the person that many people's kids came to the last five years that talked to me about stuff that they didn't talk to their parents about. You know what I'm saying? So inadvertently, I had a hand. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, and Brother Mike, it'll happen for you too. You know what I'm saying? As you work with kids that would not tell their parents a thing. You, I, if I had a dollar for every time a kid said, don't tell my mom. You know what I'm saying? I would... That's like a year's salary. You know what I'm saying? And of course, there are some things that's like, yeah, I can, I can keep that between us. And there are some things I say, nope, I'm telling your mother because that's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, like there's lines I always preface. If it's something that's going to keep you and put you in danger or someone else in danger or something that's bad for you, I will tell on you. So either know that or don't tell me. And some people have been like, ah, never mind. And some have been like, well, I don't care. I need to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. But you'll find out that kids kind of talk a little bit um, about things. And so you'll find out that that's a lot of the, uh, a lot of the issue. Let me tell you something in the, in the scriptures that um, we're about out of time. I aim for 430. It's 426. Um, but um, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's Bible. Fact. Concrete. Black and white. But people kind of forget the other side of that spectrum. Fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath. You obey me because you obey me because I said so. It's technically valid. Your parents gave you a command, obey. But there's a lot of times where parents are just downright awful. I don't, want to answer, I don't want to answer this out loud, but you adults, how many of y'all have good relationships with both of your parents? I don't want you to answer out loud, but think about it. And if you don't, why? You see what I'm saying? Because for many of you, you fostered your children in a certain way. Why? Because, I don't know, for me, that is 100% of the way that I would treat my kids. It's because my dad was a terrible example. Awful example. I hope he hears this. Awful example. You know what I'm saying? And my mom was a loving mom, but my mom was one of those moms that, that showed her love through the financial preparation where we lacked the emotional tie. 
You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of baggage that I had to fight through even up into my early 20s of trying to figure out who I want to be and what, what I will allow. And that's why, and that's why if, you, if y'all ever see that I am extra lovey all the time where I throw I love yous around like it's free money. And it's one of those things because I grew up without a lot of all of that. And I made a vow within my own personal self that I would never allow anyone to meet my presence and walk away not feeling that, feeling the way that I felt growing up as a child. Alone and isolated and unloved and depressed. And, and it's tough because like my mom and I even had this conversation where she was like, I did my best to provide for you and da 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 And my best friend one time said this. He said, when you come from a single parent home where they're working two or three jobs to provide for your, for your means, asking them to be emotionally available also is like asking for the world. Because usually you have parents in a, in a dual parent home, they can trade off, right? They're working and they're working their behinds off and they're like, man, I'm tired and I just don't have it in me to cuddle up next to you and watch Veggie Tales tonight. I just don't. You know what I'm saying? But mom might have a little bit more energy today. You know what I'm saying? And so mom will come and tuck me in or read me a story or, you know what I'm saying, different whatever it is that, that the kid wants. Play trains with me. Or whatever, or, you know, sometimes, and sometimes it's vice versa, where mom comes home and she's like, look, I just need to be to myself. And dad's like, hey, let's go to the park and go throw the ball around, or let's watch, you know, Netflix together, or whatever. But when you're a single parent, you have to maintain both roles all the time. That child's emotional tank usually will suffer in a single parent home because they aren't getting the fiscal and the emotional support that they need at the same time. So how do you work it out? And that's a big thing about what you were saying a little bit a while ago, Brother Dominic, and, and that's instilling understanding in your children. Right? Instilling understanding in your children. And this is, this is, not, this is coming from someone who dual twofold is someone who works work with teens and has heard all the cries and all the tears and all the complaints and then being a child who has grown up in a broken home like many of y'all did and the understanding that you have to eventually get to which is a sober understanding is that you're going to have to learn to understand that mommy is tired today and I love you still and I want to do the most with you and baby if I had the energy in me I would go do this with you today but I just don't have it I'm just tired but the minimum that you can still do is still express the love to your child see many a times what we do we get home and you got to be careful parents about coming home and putting your frustrations out on your children many of y'all your parents did that to you you adults your parents came home to you and they took out their frustrations of work on you, right? Which is tough and that's not acceptable ever. But you have to make sure that you didn't do it to your kids and are doing it to your kids. You know what I'm saying? So, but it's expressing like, look, I know I said that we would go to the park today, but look, I will fall asleep on you <laughs> out there. I just, you know what I'm saying? Can we reschedule? And understanding that sometimes disappointment is going to apply and it'll sometimes it won't always go the way that you want it to but understanding and reason and making it up and keeping your promises and i would actually argue to stop making promises because let your yay be yay let your nay be nay if you promise i don't care how tired you are go but you flip it i'll see how i feel we'll see what work looks like for me that day i love saying no promises i love it because it gives me freedom, right? It's like, hey, if I can make it, I'll make it. 
If I can't make it, I'll see you next time. You know what I'm saying? But you got to get into the habit. There's a lot of things in there that come to the, come to the forefront of just un- instilling in your child an understanding that, listen, mommy or daddy is doing the best he can. Give me some space. Like, give me some room. You know what I'm saying? Understand where I'm coming from.